talked last time about the great classic Puritan book on marriage and family child-rearing. It was written by William Googe. And uh, if you have your outline from last week, we talked about Puritans in general, Googe in particular, and then we got into the purposes of marriage. And we were on number three there. And I was talking about the husband's role to love his wife. You remember that absolutely and sacrificially and so on. And then our time was up already. So we're going to pick up now on the wife's major duty. And then we're going to go into God's principles for marriage and look at major mutual duties. Uh, this morning. So 1 Timothy 4, verses 1, 2, and 3, read this way. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Let's pray. Gracious God, we bow before thee in these moments and we pray that thou wilt be with us in this uh, short class and grant that we would learn a great deal in these few minutes about the roles, the mutual duties of husband and wife. Please be near to us and bless us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So continuing on then with uh, William Googe, I want to um, uh, start here that the husband does not only love the wife as Christ loves the church. But when a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, that helps his wife respond. Respond with reverence and voluntary submission to the husband. And Submission today is, of course, a word that is despised, particularly in American culture. But in the Puritan day, submission was a positive word. Because the Puritans said, this is not so much a matter of hierarchy that the man is above the woman, but it's more a matter of God's creation of man and woman. And therefore, because you can't have two heads in one home, this is a matter of function. The husband loving the wife, the wife showing reverence and submission to the husband. Now, most women have no problem with their husbands loving them. That's great. 
The problem is showing submission to the husband when he wants to go in a different direction on something as head of the home. So how do, how do you work with that? How do you, as a, as a woman, how do you respond to, let's, let's say, a loving husband? You're not a joint governor with your husband. You're not, Gooch says. No homes are joint government. But it does mean you may express your ideas and your feelings and so on to your husband. And then if there is a disagreement in any area, hopefully 98% of the time, you'll just naturally agree. But if there's a disagreement in every area, you are then called, that's your function, to say, my dear husband, I now, I now leave that matter with you and, and you know, I respect whatever decision you make. And just as the husband must love the wife cheerfully, you must do that back to your husband cheerfully. In other words, you don't say back to him, well, we don't agree, and so you just go ahead and do whatever you want to do. No, no, no. You say, we've talked it over. We realize there's a disagreement. I'll leave the decision with you, and if you decide to go this way, I gladly submit to you from the heart, not just from the mind. Now, of course, in fallen condition, in our fallen nature, that's not always easy to do. But it's not always easy to do also to love your wife when you see flaws and faults. So what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5, and, and Guj points this out, is he's focusing on the weakness of the man. By nature, we are not loving, maybe not as naturally loving as a woman is. And the natural weakness of the woman is lack of submission. So you understand what Paul is saying. God is zeroing in on the duty of husband and wife, focusing on the weaknesses. Because if you can solve the weaknesses and you have this loving husband and you are responding as a respectful wife, guess what? You're both functioning the way you ought to function and the marriage will be very happy in the Lord. So that's the general, general um, principle now that we're following as we go into the principles of marriage on the outline. We're now entering part B and I'm going to look then first with you at the duties, the mutual duties, then the duties of the husband and the duties of the wife hoping to get through all of that today, and then next week we will focus on child-rearing from, from Gooch. All right, so duties. Uh, let, let me say this. All 29 Puritan books on marriage, when it comes to working out the nitty-gritty of daily life in marriage, they divide it in terms of duties. They all use the word duties. 
The Puritans viewed the word duties as a very good word. They said you've got duties in every area of life. You've got duties in your work. You've got duties at school. You got, and you have duties in marriage. Again, in our day, the word duty, is, it's not an offensive word, but we'd rather talk about vacations and what we, what we want to do. But in the Puritan mind, you see, life is all about doing due diligence in every area of life to which God has called you and living life in a balanced fashion. So you have your duties also in marriage. Now, what are these mutual duties? These are things that both of you need to do. Let me give you four of them, according to Gooch. Number one, you're to guard the oneness, the oneness of your marriage. This is essential. You're called to be one flesh. That's evident already the day you got married. When you walked back out of the sanctuary, guess what you did? You, you, you were arm in arm and you walked out as one, didn't you? You came in as two, but you walked out as one. You entered the state of oneness and you're to guard that. You're to guard that. Gooch calls this matrimonial unity, so that they too who are thereby made one through the wedding are constantly to remain one and never to make themselves two again. And so that, that needs to convey itself, Gooch says, in every area of your marriage. The challenge is to really live that out from the depths of your soul. That oneness rather than the me-ness, me-ness. <laughs> so sometimes, let me just give you an example. Sometimes you, you ask somebody, how many, there's a husband and wife standing in front of you. And you say, how many children do you have? And the wife responds and she goes, I've got six children. I go, oh, well, what about your husband? Oh, yeah, he has six children. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. We have six children. But her mind thinks in terms of I. Gooch says, that's bad. We have six children. You see, that's the point. You learn to think in terms of we. We, we. When your spouse is sick, you feel the burden of it because you're one. It's like you're sick almost with her. I can't stand it when my wife is sick. It's just like, I'm, I'm totally discombobulated. And I, I just, I feel such a burden for her to get well. I, and I think that's a healthy thing. Because you're so one together that all of life, you learn to think in terms of we. Someone was just saying to me, uh, some guy in the bathroom saying, it's nice your wife can go with you on most of your trips. I said, most of my trips, she goes with me on all my trips now because all the kids are gone. And I said, I'm so codependent on her. I, <laughs> I said, now you must go with me because I can't survive without you. I'm so used to her being at my side, you see. And, and that's a beautiful thing when you can share experiences together. Guard the oneness of your marriage. Now, there's just lots of applications to that, uh, practical applications, even down to things like going to bed together at the same time every night. 
and not, not getting in this separate lifestyle. You go to bed here and I'll go to bed there. And I mean, I know there's special circumstances, so don't take this too far, but I'm just giving this as an example. Do things together, talk together, walk together, be together. Uh, of course, you have your work and you, you need space in life, of course. But there needs to be a oneness of mind, a oneness of spirit, a oneness of togetherness, a oneness of sharing your most intimate thoughts, your fears, your hopes, your joys. Guard that oneness. Cultivate that oneness. That's what Guja is saying. Number two, enjoy the mutual sexual purity of your marriage. Enjoy the mutual sexual purity of your marriage. Guja calls the intimacy in marriage a matrimonial chastity. Isn't that interesting? For the Puritans regarded chastity not only as single people abstaining from sexual activity, but also as married people enjoying sexual intimacy. Intimacy with their spouses. And of course, only with their spouses. Adultery, Gooch said, is a horrendous crime against the marital covenant. Whether it's, it's thoroughly condemned, he says, whether it's done by either a man or a woman. And to avoid that, he urges spouses to give each other what he calls due benevolence, which is a euphemism for, for sexual love in marriage. He writes this, one of the best remedies that can be prescribed to married persons next to a solemn fear of God and a continual setting of him before them, wherever they are, is that husband and wife mutually delight each other in each other and maintain a pure and fervent love between themselves, yielding that due benevolence to one another, which is warranted and sanctified by God's word and ordained of God for this particular end. This due benevolence, as the apostle calls it in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 3, is one of the most proper and essential acts of marriage and necessary for marriage to function for the main and principal ends of it. Now, what you need to understand is that this teaching was revolutionary in the Puritan day. Marriage and sexual intimacy in marriage had fallen under a dark cloud in the early church. Notable theologians like Tertullian, Ambrose, Jerome, Augustine believed that, yes, there had to be sexual intimacy in marriage, but it was always stained with sin. And that attitude inevitably led to the glorification of virginity and celibacy. So that by the 5th century, ministers were prohibited from marrying. And the Archbishop of Canterbury wrote in the 7th century that a husband should never see his wife naked and that sex was forbidden on Sundays and forbidden for three days before taking communion and for the 40 days before Easter. I mean, these are the rules that actually happened. They actually 
promoted this. So tragically, the end result of all this connection between marital intimacy and sin, and well, you just had to have marital intimacy once in a while in order to have children, which is an important part of marriage, but it was really sinful even within the act of marriage. All of that led to a downgrading of intimacy in marriage, which opened the door to more intimacy outside of marriage. And all the priests that couldn't marry, most of them had mistresses on the side, and everybody looked the other way. And so tragically, uh, mistresses and adultery, rather than marriage, became predominant even in the highest echelons of the church. How embarrassing, how tragic. And this whole idea of the Roman Catholic view, until today, that priests cannot marry and so on, is satanic. That's why I just read to you from 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. He says, forbidding to marry. There are people in the last days who will come and say, you, you shouldn't marry. And he says, these are doctrines of devils in verse 1. Doctrines of devils. So, it's to the Puritan movement. Reformers began it, but the Puritans developed it in written form that they openly, openly spoke about sexual intimacy in marriage and commanded romantic companionship and gave examples of it. And so, J.I. Packer says, the happy Christian home where the husband and wife regularly consummate their marriage with expressions of joy to one another, we owe that happy Christian home where husband and wife fulfill their own duties, their mutual duties to each other in every area of life, not just sexual intimacy, every area of life, and where the home functions the way the Bible says it should function where the children show obedience to their parents and they see their parents love each other like crazy. And that happy Christian home is bequeathed to us by the Puritans. <laughs> and that's so astonishing when you study church history because if you stop the man on the street and say, what were the Puritans like? He'll, he'll say, oh, they were killjoys. It's just the opposite. They were the ones that had real joy in the home, in the spouse, and enjoyed this intimacy immensely. C.S. Lewis says, we largely owe to the Puritans, quote, the conversion of courtly love, that's people in high places in the courts who had mistresses, into romantic monogamous love in marriage. Third, mutual duty is to love your spouse and live in harmony. To love your spouse and live in harmony. Listen to Gooch. I love this statement. A loving mutual affection must pass between husband and wife or else no duty will be well performed for it is loving mutual affection that is the ground of all the rest. That must be conveyed by the looks on your face, the words you speak, the embracements you give. 
And just the way you, you, you speak gently, lovingly to one another and work things out and talk things over and come to mutual decisions. Isn't it tragic that in many homes, husbands and wives speak to each other with less respect and less love than they speak to strangers <laughs> on the outside? Because, well, they want to save face, they want to be very polite to other people, but they're not polite to each other. A disaster. There should be no one in the entire world you treat so well as your spouse. That's what Guja is saying. There must be a loving mutual affection passing between the husband and wife, or else no duty, you understand that, no duty will be well performed. The duties will be performed. But if they're performed lovelessly, there's an emptiness, there's a coldness in marriage. So each should seek to maintain peace with the other so that they live in harmony, Hebrews 12, 14, cherishing each other as a special gift from God's mercy to each other. So your spouse, men, speaking of men now, you're not to treat your spouse like a piece of outdoor patio furniture that stays out there in all kinds of inclement weather. You're to treat your spouse like a tender vase that's valuable, that you cherish. To your spouse, you should be like a haven in a storm-tossed world, says Guj. If the haven be calm and free from storms and tempests, what a refreshing it will be to, to the mariner that has been tossed in the sea with winds and waves. So when a man comes home or a woman comes home, it's like you're coming into a warm hearth when you walk into your home. You're coming into the arena of affection and tenderness. But then Guj warns us on the opposite side, discord, discord between man and wife in a house is as contention between the master and the pilot in a ship. It's extremely dangerous to both of them. So, Guj uses this word companion. Your spouse is your companion. Neither friend nor child nor parent ought so to be loved as a wife. She is termed the wife of his bosom. This is all a quote from Guj. She is termed the wife of his bosom, Deuteronomy 13, verse 6, to show that she ought to be as his own heart in his own bosom. For she is nearer to him, that's the husband, than sister, mother, daughter, friend, all wrapped up together. Do you understand that? The beauty of this. My spouse is to mean more to me than even my best friends. Mutual, mutual companionship. Love, living in harmony. And number four, we're to build up each other's souls with prayer. Each other's souls with prayer. Spouses must seek the good of each other's souls. And prayer, says Guj, is a mutual duty which owes one owes to the other 
One owes to the other, Genesis 25, verse 21. So it's not just me as the head of a home praying in my family, but it's also, particularly when we're in private, it's my wife also praying. And I, I highly commend this to you. We men need to hear the feminine side of prayer. And my wife and I, from day one in our marriage, we've had this habit. When we, when we go to bed every night, we get down on our knees, and I pray one night, and she prays the next night. Actually, we've got it a 4-3 arrangement. I pray four nights a week. She prays three nights a week because I have to arrange it so because she always has to pray on Sunday night because, I mean, I used to be preaching three times a day on Sunday, and I was just totally exhausted. And I would love to hear her pray her way through the three sermons of the day. That would be so encouraging to me. Still, I still love it now. And, and so, but you see, three, three nights a week, I get to hear her pray to me. And of course, now with meals, we, she prays one, she plays a closing prayer. After every meal, I pray the opening prayer. So I really, if I have 21 meals with her in a week and three, three longer prayers at night, I get to hear her pray 24 times a week. Great. You see, you build each other up with prayer. With prayer. And you know each other's needs. So especially in the longer prayers at night, you can remember those needs for each other. Do you, do you understand what that does for, for a marriage? When I hear my wife praying for my most intimate needs that I've shared with her, it's huge. It's a huge bonding effect. Well, this is what Guge means. He even says, this is how open the Puritans were, that they sh they, husband and wife should pray for God to sanctify their sexual life and to give them children and to save their children and to provide their family's financial needs and to fill them with gifts and spiritual graces that they need. So, pray over the whole breadth of life, spiritual life, physical life, uh, raising of children. You, there's so much to pray about together. Gooch says, we must pray for one another, compliment one another. P-L-E and P-L-I, both. We compliment one another, fit together, but we also give compliments to each other. Appreciate one another and keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Spouses must not speak harshly to one another or provoke each other, but must show kindness to each other and overlook each other's minor faults. Minor faults, he says, don't even try to bother to change them. What you see is what you get. People don't change very easily anyway. If there's a major problem, okay, that needs to be lovingly addressed, especially if it's connected with sin. But receive your partner the way basically your partner is. Cultivate true friendship in marriage. Take an interest in each other. Sympathi be sympathetic to each other in times of sickness, distress, and weakness. Promote each other's reputation. Never, never speak ill of each other in the presence of others. Be confidential spouses. 
not revealing each other's secrets. And finally, Guj exhorts spouses to care for each other's physical needs, to manage each other's possessions well and their mutual possessions together, to share oversight of the household, and to work together to serve others in hospitality and benevolence to the poor. So these are mutual duties. Quite a list. Now what about duties of husbands and wives in, in particular? Interestingly, when it comes to the husband, Guj uses kind of a surprising word. He said the major duty of the husband, in addition, of course, to what we already talked about, loving your wife, is to delight, delight in your wife with an esteem, with a respect that motivates you to want to please your wife. And then he says this, <laughs> which, I, which I think is interesting. It just blows away all the perceptions of Puritans. Even to the point that others might consider it that you are doting on her. Isn't that interesting? Husbands also should not allow blemishes in their wives to slacken their affection for them. Isn't that interesting? And then Gooch says something very strong. If a man have a wife not very beautiful or proper, but having some deformity in her body, some imperfection in her speech, in her sight, in her gesture, or any part of her body, he ought yet to be so affectionate to her and delight in her so much as if she were the most beautiful in every way, the most perfect woman in the world, because she's the one God has given to you to be your wife. Amazing. Now, when you delight in your wife, that means you will also provide for your wife in her sickness and in her health. You must particularly assist her, Guj says, when she's pregnant. She has extra needs. You bestow favors and kindness and gifts upon her. And then he has a whole section where he talks about never, never, never strike your spouse. Never strike your spouse. In those days, that wasn't uncommon where a man would actually slap his wife in the face or something if he didn't agree with her. Uh, but, you know, I, I suppose it's common today, too, in many circles. But a husband may reprove his wife, but only in tender love and only to steer her away from sin. But reproof should be rare and always administered in private and always be administered with humility, never when the wife is angry. And finally, a husband must so delight in his wife that he accepts all the functions that she performs. He must show his acceptance by his gratitude, by not demanding too much from her, and by giving her freedom to manage the affairs of the home. And he must do all of this, delighting in her, so he must do it cheerfully and tenderly. And then finally, a wife has numerous unique responsibilities, says Gooch. She should be content with her husband's work, content with her, his social standing, content with his financial status. Her conversations with him should show respect, and she should be willing to move to, quote, dwell where her husband will have her to dwell in line with his work. 
In other words, she should be willing to pick up and go wherever they need to go to, to, to manage this, this calling that he has in his vocatio, his work. The wife also owes it to the husband, says Guj, to manage the affairs of the household effectively. And he points, of course, to Proverbs 31. As a help meet for her husband, she should assist him in a variety of ways, showing wise leadership skills in the home, understanding clearly in what areas she should dialogue with her husband and ask for his consent, and in what areas she has liberty to manage on her own. For example, the kitchen domain. Aguj gives this as an example. The wise husband would say, Honey, you know a lot more than I do about how to manage the kitchen. I give that whole domain to you. <laughs> I'm not going to interfere with your, your kitchen duties. Um, such management includes helping her husband establish Christ's kingdom in their home as a little church, a nursery for heaven, the Puritans called it, by training your children, being thrifty without being miserly, consistently persevering in completing her duties, not leaving them unfinished, and handling herself with sobriety, mildness, courtesy, obeisance, and modesty, as the Bible commands. So, in summary, Gooch presents a remarkably insightful treatment of the beauty and the glory of Christian marriage. Husbands and wives have different roles, but they don't live on separate levels. They live together as companions and co-workers for the glory of God, for the good of each other, and for the good of their children. And even when a home is, is functioning well, the Puritans would say, including Gooch, that that, that good function of the home, that love, that delight in one another, will generate so much love in the family that the love will spill out to others as well. And you can minister beyond your own family circle out of love. Okay, that's Guj. Next week we'll look at childbearing in Guj. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for the wisdom granted to our forefathers and this particular minister in a special way to handle the scriptural data and apply it to our daily lives in marriage, but also, as we shall hear, uh, God willing, next week in rearing children. Help us to, to grasp our responsibilities, forgive us for our shortcomings, help us to work on those areas, dependency on the Spirit, where we fall seriously short and do help us to delight in one another as husbands and wives to bring thee all the glory in marriage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.